I'm Howard Hecht. I'm Fred McClymans. And you are listening to The Coil. In today's edition of The Coil, we're talking technology. In particular, implantable technology. Those technologies that we actually insert inside our bodies. Not necessarily something in your mouth, like a filling, but perhaps something that goes under the skin, alongside an internal organ, or perhaps in your brain. Something that's providing something that your body simply can't, or in many cases, something that your body typically can, but you want to increase and make even better. Howard, we've seen a lot of waves of technology implants over the years. Everything from artificial hips to pneumatic pumps. They're out there. They're increasingly common. We're expecting a lot of this in the medical space, but we're also expecting a lot of this in the cosmetic space and in what I'll loosely term, you know, performance enhancement space. People doing things to their body that make their body perform a little bit better in some way. Maybe it's an extra shot of adrenaline. Maybe it's uh, the ability to change pigment uh, in some part of your skin, such as a tattoo. Or maybe it's the ability to, you know, implant Google Glass directly into your body. And I'm not sure what you're going to do with that, but you get the gist. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, do you see any particular trends or any concerns that you have? Yes, Fred. My, my deepest concern comes under the, the guise of the network addressable versions of these technologies. Look, right now we have network addressable pacemakers. We have other implants that are network addressable. And quite frankly, the security, the security link on those network addressable devices is substandard, subpar at best. It's just not good enough. And again, as these devices become more pervasive, you're going to be able to collect more data on them, some of which can be done surreptitiously. And again, we have no real validation on how that data will be used. Once I know that you have X number of irregular heartbeats per Y period, I can quite literally uh, reflect that in, in so many of your financial instruments because, again, it's not regulated right now. And I know there are people out there screaming, yes, HIPAA regulates that. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It regulates a very specific subset of communication between you and health and healthcare providers, but there is a huge, huge market for data that's extrapolated about you that is being sold left and right. Don't be naive. Just to clarify on this, Howard, there are two areas here of of general concern. The first is what happens to the transmission of that data. I mean, if you've got a device in you that's actively monitoring your heart or monitoring your blood sugar or uh, an enzyme, that has to communicate back to something somehow. Now, you could collect data, uh, much like a heart monitor might do, and you know, simply place something close to the device in your body, read the data, and then move along. That's great. But I also see the opportunity here for uh, you know, enhanced RFID or even devices that transmit a signal in somewhat near time to uh, to be abused there and i've got to expect that the manufacturers are going to tightly encrypt that information to keep it proprietary the other area of concern is what happens to that data once it's gathered because we do know that the information people gather on us today is not necessarily as safe as we would like to believe it is certainly not and by the way i'd like to imagine it was tightly encrypted but i don't believe that it is because that costs extra money it does cost extra money. Uh, however, think about the, the risk issue there. And maybe this is a great 
you know, uh, a great discussion into one of the elements that uh, really could disrupt this entire market's future. Think about the risk, though, if somebody has a device that's implanted and somebody gets access to that data or gets access to the device itself. Of course. So Look, yeah, you know. From, the... from a medical perspective, again, these devices that we're talking about here right now, these are medical devices. They will be regulated by insurance companies and potentially governments as well. So, and the, yeah, the great aspect is, of course, that the ambulance chasing class action suit attorneys will now never have to leave their offices. They can actually just pull people online. They can just pull their devices and start the, the lawsuits directly from the device. You know, I'm conjuring up this image in my mind of the uh, Internet of Things horribly gone awry. Yeah. See, everybody thought it would be Skynet. It's worse. It's lawyers. <laughs> so if we look at this realistically... Uh, you know, the issue of medical devices, I think, you know, realistically, that will be somewhat controlled and that will be worked out. I'm more concerned with the unregulated devices, mm. those devices that people actually, you know, use for uh, perhaps cosmetic purposes and, and not necessarily health related cosmetic purposes, but unregulated cosmetic purposes, purpose, I'm sorry, unregulated, <laughs> those devices that they might use not for medical purposes but unregulated non-medical purposes you're Things concerned actually, you're concerned about electro juicing yeah i'm concerned about electro juicing i'm concerned about people putting things in their body to make it perform differently than it's supposed to and that is a very real concern imagine an athlete that has one of these devices implanted in him and on command if a certain set of you know parameters are hit releases a little bit of extra adrenaline into their body or increases the heart rate just a little bit more at that crucial moment. I mean, this really has the ability to fundamentally reshape what it means to be a competitive athlete or to be, you know, uh, you know the, the next model on TV or to be the next musician, the next pianist, the next Mozart. Of course it Those is. are areas where I'm concerned. Really? And, I, and I'm concerned, you know, by the way, people put substances in their body that change their performance all the time. It's called scotch. Yeah, yes, scotch and PEDs. Yes, and and that is a huge, that is a huge issue. Of you know, course it is, and, and it's grow, it's a growing it's, issue. Yes, but how many kids today, you know, aspire not necessarily to be the next A Rod, but to be the next, you know, you know, sports superstar? Think about this in ten years, where they start to say, you know, I can be that next superstar, and here are not the training drills I need to go to, but here are the technologies that I need to acquire. I can be Johnny Pneumatic. If I want to, and I'm sorry, that's Johnny Mnemonic. I have got to get that straight. I have no, I like Johnny movie. Pneumatic. I, I want to know. I, in this case, it he's got the pump, in. right? He's got the pump. Right. I, I was going back to the uh, to the pneumatic pump that we talked about earlier. Uh, which, by the way, I, I do have. Uh, I've I got a I, good friend of mine yeah. who that actually had. It is yes. I've got a good friend who actually has a pump in his brain. Uh, he has a, a problem controlling um, fluid in the brain, and by you know simply pressing against this pump several times a day, he can regulate the amount of fluid uh, in a certain part of his brain. Uh, and that's a great use of technology. Uh, when that becomes an automated piece of technology, that you know will be even better for that medical purposes. But here we're talking about things that are non-medical and. But Not we keep going back to medical exactly. because we keep going back to medical because that's where we want it to go. We keep going back to the good part because, unfortunately, we're all you and I are both techno biased and we really want it to be for the good of humanity. But let's face it: more and more people are just going to be inserting MP3 players in their in their pinky fingernails. They're going to be inserting tech to make their lives easier and to gain edges in places that are not on the on the on the sports field. Unfortunately, they're going to be doing it to get ages in 
in trading, to get edges, you know, in in school. I mean, let's face it, that's where it's going to come down, Fred. People will be taking whatever shortcuts they can to be more perfect humans. And I use that term with the air quotes that you cannot see on the radio. But trust me, they're here. Yes. Now, let's also not forget the one driver that has very successfully shaped the adoption of so many technologies from VCRs to the Internet, and that is pornography. And sex in general, yes. And, oh, yeah, pornography and, and sex in general. So think about the implications there. Uh, you know, in fact, Howard... You already said Johnny Pneumatic. There. You said Johnny Pneumatic, so... And, and, but I was, yes, I was not thinking about that particular sure line of you thought weren't. Uh -huh. at that moment. That said, I think we're ready to introduce our guest and move on to the next segment of today's coil, where we delve into this from a more learned perspective. That's when we come back from this break. On today's coil, we'd like to welcome back Dr. Christine Paraxlis from JWU. Christine, pleasure to have you back. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Howard. Christine, you've done some uh, fairly significant research into technology adoption habits of millennials. Are there any macro trends that you see uh, taking shape that are impacting our economy, uh, things uh, in the employment or consumption areas? Yes, there are. Um, we've done research and looked at differences of opinion. And when I say we, I just have to uh, give credit where credit's due. Um, M.G. Michael, Katina Michael, uh, uh, Dr. Robin Gable, uh, Roger Achille. So there's a group of us that have um, have been looking at millennials versus baby boomers versus Gen X. And um, we've seen some shifts with millennials. We looked between the years 2005 and 2010, and we did see more willingness in 2010, um, really surprising, not only more willingness to implant chips, say, um, to reduce identity theft or uh, implanting a chip in the human body as a potential life-saving device, or to implant in a, a chip to increase national security. So we saw increases on all three of those areas in 2010. But what was interesting was we also saw more neutrality. So we, we saw a shift away from being unwilling towards willing, but also towards neutrality or no opinion, which was very interesting. And that was just one study. When we did a second study, um, again, uh, we did um, what was called a mixed method sequential. So we pulled in quantitative data, but then we said, what does this, what do these numbers mean? And, and asked the question to the millennials, um, uh, about their feelings, and we started to hear words that described neutrality or more willingness. So real real interesting trends. Christine, were there any geographic areas that you saw more willingness than others or more uptake than others? There were. Um, in one study, um, we looked, and this was MG and Katina Michael and, and myself, we looked at small business owners within four countries. So we looked in the UK, the US, Australia, and India. And um, what, was, what was very surprising was what we saw in India. So we did see um, millennials, uh, we ran a statistic that would have um, 
told us kind of the probability of where the number should have come in. And we saw more millennials than, than expected um, opened to RFID transponders surgically implanted beneath the skin of an employee. I'm using the words right from the survey, survey surgically implanted beneath, beneath the skin of an employee. And this was for employee ID in an organization. So we were, weren't even talking about life-saving, these dramatic um, phrases, but it was really just for employee identification in an organization. So we saw that in India um, uh, more than expected. So what would you say the biggest surprise was in, in all of your research? You know, I think the biggest surprise for, for me was when we looked at some of the qualitative data. So when we looked at how people answered questions and you looked at the difference between the baby boomers and the millennials, what, what was so interesting was when a, when a, a baby boomer said they were unwilling, um, one baby boomer um, would have said, for example, um, uh, there is not a chance in H-E-L-L. -L. I mean, you know, very strong language. Um, I would rather put, you know, needles in my eyes. I mean, strong language with the baby boomers. But even with those that were not willing, that were millennials, there was a different language. And when they were willing, um, there, there was an, uh, an inquisitive nature and openness with the millennials. There was more neutrality as, I don't really know a lot about this, but I'd like to hear more. I'm not sure, but it sounds cool. We heard these words, which was really interesting to me, surprising. Wow, that's, uh, that's both very interesting and, uh, and very scary uh, yes. in, in some regards. Uh, you know, there's a... Where the cyborgs are coming from. Well, yeah, you know, I think... Uh, you know, for example, when you talked about the uh, the millennial uh, uh, millennials within uh, India that you were, were looking at, uh, the idea of you know considering it acceptable to have something surgically implanted in you, just for employment within an organization. You know, think about somebody that uh, that ends up, you know, using that that basic concept there ends up having. Uh, you know, three or four things implanted in them, you know, one for employer A, one for the part-time employer B, one for school, one for, uh, you know, maybe political reasons, uh, you know, for voting. I mean, there are there are a number of, uh, you know, Gattaca-like, uh, you know, steps that we seem to be moving towards uh, in that area. Uh, but you know, it's also interesting, you said you mentioned millennials uh, were very different from the boomers. The boomers were were less reluctant there. But yet, at the same time, boomers are very high adopters of uh, mobile technology, uh, which in many cases has a lot of the same functionality or even much greater functionality than, uh, you know, than an implanted RFID chip would have. Um, so I, I'm curious how you see those two kind of playing out together, the, the RFID versus what we're already throwing off in the, the mobile and, and soon-to-be wearable devices that we're, we're looking at. Sure. Um I use the word electronic tattoos, and you're seeing a lot more about this. Um, you know, I would be corrected by some of my peers that it's, you know, a nanotech patch, et cetera. But that's not what we read. We read tattoo, right? And, and when you look at millennials, um, and, and I do believe there, there are data points that you can look at that, that prove that millennial generation ha have adopted ink or tats or tattoos far more 
than previous generations. And when you look at a wearable and now marketed as a tattoo, and I've even seen some writing saying a temporary tattoo that is in effect that surgically implanted chip, but now it's quote adhered and it's got a design that I think is really cool or sexy. That concerns me greatly because this generation is not only a, uh, embraced um, ubiquitous living, they check in places. Um, so their mobile device is their, their network. It, it's how they're known, it's how they're, uh, they're connected and how they fit in. And yes, you are right, Fred, you know, baby boomers are using mobile in the same way. But I wonder if the tats or the wearables, um, these studies that we're looking at, the the data are showing that the millennials are more open. I think if I re-ran these studies just with, with, you know, electronic tattoos or tattoos, I think you'd see even more differences of opinion. Well, that, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I have to admit, I, I do not fit the the millennial age bracket even close. Um, but uh, you know, at the same time, uh, I am a, a very high uh, user of technology. Uh, you know, for for check-ins, for social. I mean, in part because it's uh, it just fits. It it feels uh, feels right in a lot of ways. But also because it's a, a very big part of of my business, and it's the way I communicate. Uh, you know, to to business peers, to with customers, and uh, you know, with, uh, with with friends and, and colleagues, uh, I, I do have uh, I do have to say I have uh, stepped into the ink side uh, of things, and uh, I mean it's no secret that I have a, a couple of tattoos. Would I ever consider doing a, a tattoo that was actually an RFID, uh, you know, along the lines of uh, you know electronic uh, printable ink uh, for that? You know, that's an interesting one because. Um, you know, there's a, a part of me that says I can see uses of that where it could be very helpful for me personally. Um, however, that's such a such a base technology. The ability to crack that and to use it for ulterior, uh, you know, means or have somebody actually, you know, use that without your knowledge is so great that uh, I just can't ever see going down that path. Hmm. Absolutely. And we've seen abuse with the usage of data. You know, we're seeing that here in the United States, and I, I don't think we've even scratched the surface of some of what the tracking and the data collection and, and Howard, you're, you know, you're much more knowledgeable on the metadata than I am. Um, but I do believe that the older generations may have a better understanding because they have a, a context. The younger generations may not understand the risks associated. No, I, I don't think they do. And and then again, you know, part of it really is because a lot of the upside, a lot of the, the things that are being protected by the older generations aren't necessarily going to exist, and they're certainly not going to exist in the same context as they did. I mean, look, the very concepts of, of home ownership and of, you know, of owning a large home and, and the sort of the, the, the concept of working till X, retiring, living in a large home, then having leisure time, that's really not going to be something that the millennials are going to experience. They're not going to experience that same set. So they quite literally have less to protect, which is something mm-hmm. that I don't think a lot of the studies take into account. Yeah, and another piece um, that's emerging still, but um, Attorney Roger Achille and I, um, we wanted to look and see what's the ethics perspective of the millennials 
as we look at some of these emerging technologies like implantable chips. And what was interesting was um, researchers have actually reported that the millennials are looking for us to define for them some of these ethics dilemmas. And I find that troubling when you add that to the mix of we have emerging technologies with no standards or very little standards, a vacuum of regulations across the globe, um, and, and who is going to ask the right questions relative to ethics? Obviously, the advertisers. On this segment of today's coil, it's turntables, where we're giving the microphone to Dr. Christine Paraxlis. Christine, take it away. Fred and Howard, after talking about these shifts with millennials and, and more openness and more willingness to implant chips in the human body um, relative to the perceptions of this generation, what risks would you want this generation to take into account relative to wearables or implantables? I, I think the first very real risk is the medical risk. And I think it's it's sort of under-discussed. And look, people mention, well, of course, it's been done in animals, but these are animals that have lives of, you know, between 8 and 12 or 8 and 15 years. They're not animals that have lives of 80 years. So let's, let's just talk about that. Um, anytime you introduce anything into the body, there is risk. And that's one thing I just like to get right off the top, number one. Number two, um, anything that's implantable can shift. Uh, so it might not be as removable as you originally think it is. And it can be, you know, calcified. It can be, you know, there's, there's so many things that could happen in the body that would make it detrimental to remove it or a far more involved procedure to remove it than was originally thought at the time of insertion. And staying and moving away from those those medical and, and biological concerns, there are the very simple concerns that um, you don't really get a chance to change your mind. And as we keep proving time and time again, you only control that to a very minor extent. Any data that may be derived from you can be used in an additive fashion with data about you. And that's where we get into the whole metadata question and data about the data. And therefore, you have no real idea what the sensor that you're bopping into any receptor is actually giving off, what it can be used for, what it will do to you, for you, or say about you for the rest of your life. You know that permanent record that they used to warn us about when we messed up in school? This is it. <laughs> and you inject it in your arm, idiot. All you kids get off my lawn. Uh, Howard, I'm going to approach this from a, uh, a slightly different perspective here. Uh, you know, assuming that uh, there are, are very good, you know, real, you know, immediate urgent requirements that can be met by implantable technology uh, in the medical space, you know, I think that's, that's almost a no-brainer, as long as it's not being injected into your brain. Uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's something that it's there, we need to do it, let's, let's figure out the right way to do it ethically and, and from an informed perspective. Um, I think for the general population at large, um, for me, one of the more significant issues uh, is how that type of technology is going to change our behavior and the decisions that we make. 
And you know, we've spoken in the past about uh, issues of technology becoming a limiting factor here. Well, think about implanted technology. We're going through you know generations of technology. Uh, you know, like uh, like people use tissues. Uh, you know, it's changing at an incredibly rapid rate. What you implant in your body right now may be very, you know, functional and useful today, but will that still be the case in uh, in five years or even in, you know, two or three years? Potentially not. Um, so with that in mind, I think that technology, as we use it, it's something that our behavior often shifts to the technology. And technology can be great, but it's usually not as good as a, a real functioning human brain at making decisions uh, and knowing what's right and what's wrong. When you put that technology into play, you know, I know that my communications behavior, for example, gets dumbed down to the limitations of the technology at hand. So imagine embedding that technology in you and now changing the behavior of, of myself, the, you know, the way I behave to leverage that technology that may not be 100% functional. Uh, and I think that in turn limits the decisions that we can make because we're going to change our behavior to match technology. That becomes a limiting factor in the number of decisions that we can make and even in how we make those decisions. That's something that I don't think people are, are really fully aware of the risks uh, in that particular area. So that's probably, you know, one of my major concerns right now at this point. I have three words for you, Fred. Implantable birth control. Okay, Howard, Howard, I have I have one word for you. Vasectomy. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking, looking, go do some research into the studies of how behavior was changed by women that had implantable birth control. Well, I said, but not primary research. Not primary research. <laughs> Did you hear me? Not primary research. Oh. So, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Got it, Mike. quite seriously, I think that the decisions that we make will be severely restricted by the technology that we take, and that's why. Wait, did you, know, you just? Did you just paraphrase the the end of the White Album? I did. <laughs> I, I did it, and it was intentional, no oh, less. Damn you! Damn you to hell! <laughs> Go ahead, shake your fist. I did. Uh, I did. Oh, uh, excellent. Metaphorically excellent. and actually. Uh, excellent. So, I think that though is a very real, um, a very real issue. Uh, you know, we are going to constrain ourselves tremendously. You know, and what, what's even scarier about that is, and I'm not, I'm not dismissing at all the potential good that can come from that. Because if you look at the millennials of today, they are very right. We are moving into uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. We are moving into. Uh, and a, a series of economic shifts that, uh, you know, I think the uh, the discussions and the work that we've been doing in the shared economy and the collaborative economy, I don't think they even scratch the surface of what is potentially possible here, you know, over the next, you know, 10 to, to 25 years. Um, so models will be broken, they will be rewritten, and, uh, you know, what the brave new world looks like, you know, maybe even more fantastic than uh, than we suspect. But there are huge risks uh, involved in this today. And uh, I think that the ability of people to take advantage 
uh, of this group of individuals who are saying, give me moral guidance, give me a compass, tell me what I should be buying and what I shouldn't be buying uh, right now. That to me is incredibly um, important. And even more long-term, the idea of you know, reshaping your life around technology to the point where you can't just, you know, uh, you know, take it off your wrist and replace it with a new one. Uh, you can't just simply, you know, uh, take it out of your jacket and say, you know, I'm going dark for the next uh, hour and a half. Yeah. Ugh, drive me nuts. Yes, I know, Howard. I know. <laughs> it's an important point to me. Okay. But you did just actually say Brave New World. And I, I think I did. I did say Brave New World. Yeah. That's, 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 that's a, a good my hat view to Huxley. That's a good view of the future. <laughs> well, right. you know, and just end that, this. That's, just end that's this. why, end no, it. That's why end I brought it now, that Fred. up. Christine, it's been a pleasure to have you on this edition of The Coil, and I hope to have you back again very soon. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Howard. Major thanks to our guest, Dr. Christine Paraxlis, my co-host, Fred McClymans, and to you for joining us on this episode of The Coil. For more information about the show, check out our website at thecoilradio.com or listen to archived episodes at soundcloud.com or subscribe to the feed on iTunes. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at The Coil Radio or on LinkedIn. The Coil is now proudly featured on Mixler. <laughs>